You are about to hear a message from one of our worship services at Rescue Church, located in West New York, New Jersey. If you'd like to visit or learn more about us, please check out www.rescuechurch.tv. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, look, what is it that you, that you want to speak to people about? And, I've, and I had this real clear endurance. Endure. And um, so we're going to get into that. But the Bible says in Galatians that don't get weary in well-doing because... You get weary. First of all, the very nature of well-doing gets you weary. (laughs) The very nature of doing the right things for the right reasons is in and of itself tiring. Um, And so that's the first thing. But don't be weary in well-doing because if you you don't quit, you'll reap a harvest. And... um, that the word there is in due time or in due season is a kairos moment. So what the en- what the enemy tries to do is the enemy tries to wear us down in chronos time to rob us from a kairos moment. Because behind a harvest and behind a car- a kairos moment is the testimony of the Lord. And see, that's the thing that the enemy is really after in your life. So if your finances get hit, or if your marriage gets hit, or if your children get hit, those are not the thing that the enemy really wants. The enemy, the devil is not going to take your wife and marry her, right? You understand? It's not like some guy on the street. What the enemy wants is your testimony, right? So you have to, you have to really realize that part of your testimony is faith plus patience equals endurance. And it says this about Abraham, after patiently waiting, after patiently enduring, he received the promise. So what the enemy wants us to do in our life is to tap out, to quit, and to give up before we inherit what we cannot earn. See, this is really something that we have to really be aware of because many times we get discouraged and we, we quit right before something can break loose. And I just want to encourage you that there's, there's two stages in, in your life. The first stage is like you have to get things in order, right? And so it's interesting how we're not as eager to quit bad things <laughs> as we are to quit good things, right? And so that's one thing. But after you allow the Lord to get your life in order, and when I say that, I don't mean you're perfect or you've arrived, but I mean there's just really basic things like you need to get this in order, and until you get that in order, you're kind of like on hold. Once you get that stuff in order, then you have some momentum. Now you're, you're, making, you're making progress. Now the enemy is going to try to hit you, and he's going to try to buffet you and stop you so that you don't endure. And so I want to really talk to you today about endurance. Now, remember one thing about Hebrews 11, it leads to Hebrews 12, right? And in, when the scriptures were written, there was not all these numbers here. So there's ideas from 11 that find their way into 12. Like, for example, Hebrews 12 is really, Jesus is the central figure of Israel's whole entire history, existence, and purpose for being. So in, in Hebrews 1, you have Jesus over angels. And then, so all, this, all these different pictures of who Jesus is in the book of Hebrews, you have him as the creator, the sustainer. He, he sustains everything. You have him, him as the mediator of a second and better covenant. So there's all these different things that Jesus, and so the writer of Hebrews is really centering everything around Jesus, just so you know. This is a very, very important book. So then he goes to he goes to through Israel's history and it finds its climax in 12 in who? In Jesus. Right? This is very, very important because if you disconnect 11 from 12, you miss the whole crescendo of where he's actually going. 
Like, so if you ever hear like a, a band, you know, and they're playing and they're playing and then the electric guitar starts just destroying a solo. This is the, uh, Jesus is like the electric guitar and they're destroying the soul because this is, it's really about this moment where they're saying all of that led to this. And then he talks about, okay, what does that mean to us, right? This is, this is what I want to get into. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay. He starts by saying, all that stuff that just took place, therefore. So he's, he's taking all of that that just took place and says, because we heard all that, let's hear this, focus on this, and let's do what he's telling us to do. So the first thing he says is he's saying, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, this is the thing that's really good news about the Bible. If God tells you to do something, you can that means that sin does not have to have dominion over us. So that, if, if, you, if you have ever been addicted to something and then you got free of it, I say that free is better than addicted. Yep. Right? And so it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in Rome, there was actually a freedom tax. So if a slave became free, they had to pay a tax. Yeah. To the, to the municipalities, they had to pay a freedom tax. So when, when Paul is saying it was for freedom, Christ set you free, it's like he, he's not looking to be tipped for the freedom he paid with his own blood, and he did it so that you would be free. This is a very, very important truth that we have to understand. So he says, lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. So there's two things. There's weights, and then there's sins. So one of, one, of the, one of the meanings of the word weight here um, is actually a burden. So, like, I don't know what exactly burdens you as a person. Like, I have ideas, right? But people have, like, I, I have a burden that some of you don't understand, and it's not your problem, so I don't give it to you because it's not your problem. But I carry a burden for the body of Christ that uh, is, I put it this way, I've experienced more grief from that than my own mother dying. That can give you a measure of the weight of how that feels and how it doesn't go away, ever. So that, that's, that's one thing. So Paul is saying, excuse me, I shouldn't say Paul. The writer of Hebrews, so you asked me who I think wrote it, I'm going to tell you what I think wrote it. I think personally that Paul is talking, Luke is writing. It's just my opinion. It means nothing, but I just thought I'd share that. So the writer of Hebrews, it means I have the microphone. So the, the writer of Hebrews here is writing and telling us to lay aside the weight, the burden, the thing that would impede us from running, right? So let's say you're going to run a long distance, right? Have you ever seen the long distance runners? They got like little short shorts. They got like nothing on. Like it's like their shirt is paper thin. Like that's, that's a visual for us to realize that if you want to run with endurance, if you want to run a long run, you got to stay hydrated, but you kind of shed everything unnecessary because of, the, because of the journey ahead. So he's saying to us like, guys, you can and you should lay aside all these burdens and sins. So they're two different things. So just because you have a burden doesn't mean it's a sin. But if you give the burden a place it doesn't deserve in your life, it will become a sin. And so this is important because I cannot run looking unto Jesus if I do not give Jesus the burden that is in my own my heart or the thing that would impede me from running. So let's say I have a book bag. The visual is take the book bag off, whatever's in the book bag, right? 
Whatever burden is in the book bag, it could be a very valid burden, it could be a real burden, it could be genuine concerns about real life, yes. But those will impede you from being able to run unless you give them to Jesus. The same idea, casting all your cares on him, right? For he cares for you. So because he cares for you, he wants to know what you care about so he can care for you well so that the cares of this life do not choke the seed of God, of God's word in your life. So this is another idea. The Bible gives us a lot of these visuals because of how important this is. For example, Jesus says, take up your, your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross rather and follow me. So here, here's, this is the same idea. If I do not deny myself, right, there's no reason on God's green earth that I want to carry a cross. <laughs> because a cross, I'm carrying my own execution. But the principle there in the kingdom is you have to die to live. Right? So it's, it's a similar idea. Lay aside the weight and the sin because this would stop you from running. Why? For example, how can I run after Jesus if I'm running to the world? Right? And so, so now this is, this is a very basic Christianity 101, but if I'm seeking after Jesus, if I want to follow Jesus, then I cannot follow the world. I cannot run after the world, the principles of the world, the things of the world. So th there is things in our life that are good, that God has given us generously to enjoy, and those things are fine. But if I give those things a place that they don't deserve, those things will impede me from following Jesus and they will stop me. For example, John the Baptist said that a man cannot receive anything unless it comes from heaven. So what the rich young ruler had was from God, but he put it before God and he couldn't follow Jesus. This is another example. This is a visual of learning to give him the burden and allow us to say no to sin because it will stop us from the greatest race and the greatest journey that we have ever been invited to engage with. So let us run with endurance. I cannot have endurance without focus. This is, this is another biblical principle. It's very clear. I don't know if you remember when Peter was walking on the water. He had his eyes on Jesus. As long as he was looking at Jesus, he could walk on the water. The moment he took his eyes off of Jesus, the moment he started looking at the storm, he began to sink. Because anytime you focus on the circumstances, you do not have authority over those circumstances. So focus is very, very big in the kingdom. And I'm talking about specifically focusing on Jesus and running, looking to him. This is a very, very simple but difficult because there's so many things that are fighting for our attention. See, the other day I, I, was, I was in my desk and I was thanking the Lord. I had an aha moment again. And I realized that the Lord exhausted my to-do list for him. <laughs> he did it all. And he said, now what? See, many times the things that you want are not really the things that you really want. See, okay, looking unto Jesus who the author and the finisher of our faith one good thing I want to just encourage you with is that Jesus has the power to finish everything that he starts. So he doesn't run out of, you know, money and say, I can't finish building the tower. You know, he, Jesus does not start something that Jesus does not have the power to fulfill. So his resources are inexhaustible. Paul talked about it as the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus. All of the treasures of wisdom uh, and knowledge are hidden in him. So whether we're talking about spiritual things or natural things, the Bible says that the silver and gold is mine, says the Lord. So the foundation of all economies, the Bible says that 
the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. It says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which is a metaphor of it's all his. Okay, so the faster you get that settled, the faster you don't have to run to the world to achieve what God called you to achieve in the kingdom. I don't mean you shouldn't be excellent at your job. You should do that. But I'm talking about you, you don't have to be worldly to do the will of God. You have to hear from God and obey God. You don't have to do things according to how the world says you have to do things. Okay. Who the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of God. So he despised the shame, which means he looked at it and it was not, he didn't care. Now, this is very, this is very real because his, he, he suffered publicly, public humiliation. When Jesus was hung on a tree, Jesus had no clothes on. Jesus was fully exposed. So there's, 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 there's a level of shame that he endured and he said, oh, that's nothing compared to what I'm achieving for them. So he went through shame, so shame would have no place in your life. See, shame is one of the other things that will stop someone from following God. Weights, sins, and shame. You know what I, what I came into contact with in, in ministry? I was not afraid of failing. I was afraid of looking like a failure. And you have to despise what people think of as success and what you think of as success and be faithful to the Lord. Because it doesn't matter what it looks like. What it matters is when your spirit leaves your body, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't matter how big, how small, how... That's all that matters when your spirit leaves your body. And that is really what matters in reality. And if you're faithful, God will breathe life into what he called you to do. Okay. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Okay, so now he's telling us to run, looking unto Jesus, right? So that focus, it, it, it energizes this, the race. What you focus on, whether you realize it or not, you become. You'll always have more of what you focus on. Okay. Lest you become weary in your uh, weary and discouraged in your soul. So now, this is this is really something he's saying. Listen, if you don't spend time mentally, this is a mental health check here. If you don't spend time mentally using your mind to engage and think about what Jesus went through from people he was dying to save you will become discouraged and weary. In other words, he's giving us a tip here. He's telling us that if you think about this, this will be helpful to your heart and to your mind. If you don't think about this, you will become discouraged and weary. The nature, I said this earlier, but I really mean this, the nature of well-doing is that it, it makes you weary. Parenting, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a tremendous... Uh, privilege and responsibility, but you will be, your bones will be tired. <laughs> it's like you, you, will be, I mean, you will be the very fabric of who you, like the cells in your body, they're going to need like a break. I mean, you, you will be tired. The nature of doing something that is valuable and meaningful is it requires all of you. Like, for example, a woman giving birth. Because that is so valuable, okay, but that requires everything in you and some. See? Okay. Lest you become weary, fatigued, and you know the other word for it? Ill. You know what happens when you become too fatigued? You get ill. You don't rest, you get weak, and you get sick. 
this is, there is natural implications to the spiritual truth here. Let me, let me give you this example. You don't rest, your body will force you to rest. Your body, you, you keep burning the candle on both ends. Your body says, I'm on strike, bro. I'm on strike. Three days. Netflix, Chinese food. Strike. <laughs> okay. You have not resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. So he's saying, he's saying to them, you didn't resist uh, sin unto bloodshed like Jesus did. Jesus was sweating blood. That is a picture of real intercession. Intercession is not me giving God a list. Okay, bless Aunt Susie. Okay, bless Pastor. Bless someone. No, 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 no. Intercession is when you give your life and you stand in the gap for something. When, when you are so moved by the situation that you move toward it. It's not just talking. The problem in America is not a lack of prayer. The problem is that the right people are not in the room praying together. See, everyone in the upper room was committed to walking this thing out. They weren't committed to the idea of prayer. They were committed to obedience to Christ no matter what. That's different. I'd rather pray with three people like that than 500 people that are not going to do nothing. They're committed to prayer, not Jesus. Okay. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. Here it comes. My son, this is Proverbs, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son in whom he receives. Do you know the word scourges? It's the word flog. It's the word whip. Okay, you will either come under the discipline of God or the judgment of God. But you're coming under something. You're either going to be, you're either going to humble yourself or you'll be humiliated. That's what happens. So, there's two things in this passage that are very important. The writer does not want us to be discouraged. Can I tell you one thing? I've been discouraged. I know a discouragement. Discouragement is not good for our Christian witness. In addition to it not being good for your health, your physical health, mental health, financial health, your wife, your children, your, if your mother-in-law, when you're discouraged, it's, there's nothing good that comes out of you being discouraged. Okay? So, if you don't think about what Jesus went through, tra track with me just for a second. If you don't consider and think about what he went through for us, you will become weary and discouraged. Where is the place that the enemy tries to wear you out? Your mind. Your mind always will quit before your body will quit. Because your mind will tell your body, that's it, tap out. See, so... If I don't take authority over my thought life, then I will become fatigued. So do you know sometimes people feel physically fatigued because they have not taken their thoughts captive, so their thoughts are taking them captive? Whatever thoughts that you don't take captive will take you captive. 101, so the warfare is, is in... Our mind. That's where, the, that's where the battle is raging. 18 inch battle. Heart and mind. And the peace of Christ is able to guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. The most powerful Christians are Christians whose heart has been transformed and their mind has been renewed and they are fully in agreement with God and themselves. Because they don't live with regret. They, when they move, they do, they do it with intention. They're not flim-flam. They're not back and forth. They are, boom, steadfast. Okay. 
My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. So when you are rebuked by God, you can become discouraged if you don't perceive what is happening correctly. Correction is not rejection. If you perceive correction as rejection, you will rob yourself of who you could become. The fact that someone cares enough about you to pull you aside and to confront you is actually beautiful. Because if they didn't care, you know what they would say? It's not my problem. That doesn't affect me. That's your problem. No, but if they, if they come and say, hey, brother, you know, listen, hey, that means, man, they care. And you know what? The father cares. The father cares. God does not want us to be discouraged. So he's telling us in this passage that there are two things that could cause you to be discouraged. Number one, if you don't think about the resistance and the suffering that the innocent Savior did for us, you can become weary and discouraged. Number one. Number two, if you do not understand the chastening of the Lord, if you don't perceive that correctly, you can become discouraged instead of encouraged. So this is really beautiful because I cannot get where I'm going if I'm off. If, if I'm not aimed correctly... I will not hit the target. See, for example, let's just say you're going to send something into space. Let's say a rocket or a missile, whatever it is. If it's only off a very tiny, tiny little bit, the closer it gets to the target, the further it'll be from hitting the target. So when God comes to us and says, son, daughter, hey, that's the love of God. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son in whom received. One of the expressions of a loving father, right, is that he disciplines us. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons for what son is there whom a father does not chasten? So now you're, you're seeing a first century presupposition that is completely untrue today. In the first century, the cultural norm was who doesn't have a father that will chasten them, which means that the cultural norm was fathers who chastened them, which is good. The cultural norm today is no father or a father that is either neglective, neglecting or abusive. And guess what? Neglect is another form of abuse. So now the cultural presupposition of fathers and discipline and love is not even here. So that means that the first century writer, whoever it is, his presupposition to that culture is completely off to our culture. The Bible's the word of God. I don't mean it that way, but I mean the cultural presupposition of fathers being there, being present, and being uh, and disciplining sons, this absent, and, and this is this is the culture that we're living in. This is the culture that you're going to evangelize in. 
This is the culture that you're going to pray for people and minister to people in. This is the, the culture that you're going to get people healed in inner healing. You're going to give them counsel. You're going to prophesy. You're going to, you're going to write letters or notes of encouragement to people. But you are in this culture where this is not what is normative. So you have to be aware of that because now you're, every time you speak to someone, you're speaking to and through the bondage that is in their life. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which you have all become partakers, you are illegitimate and not sons. The old King James says the word bastards. You are illegitimate. You are outside of wedlock. You are, you are, not, you are not sons. But God say, no, you're sons. You are sons and daughters in the kingdom and you have a father and you are not illegitimate and his responsibility is to discipline you because discipline is the foundation for self-control and without self-control you'll self-destruct. We're watching it. We're watching it on our nation. On a national level, people are self-destructing. That that is not your burden, that's not your problem, but that is a problem. This is a serious problem. Furthermore, we had human fathers. Do you see the presupposition? Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. So now he is taking for granted that there's fathers and they should be respected. This is very important. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? So he's speaking of the Father. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as it seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now this is very, very important because in the Lord's Prayer, I'm not talking about our father, that one. I'm talking about when the Lord is getting ready to die and he prays. There's two things that he says about the father. He says, holy father, and he says, righteous father. In the middle of what he's about to go through, and they come to get him after he crosses the brook Kidron. I remember that. He crosses the brook Kidron. Peter pulls out a sword and slices the guy's ear off, and Jesus heals the guy. And then Jesus turns to Peter and says, don't you think I'm going to drink the cup that my father gave me? See? That means that Jesus was not offended with the father. Even though he had to suffer and die for us, he was not offended with him. He still was holy father and still was righteous father because God doesn't change based on what I'm going through. This is very important because you have people who they start going through something. They go through a crisis and then they start blaming God for something God didn't do. That's why when the apostles preached the gospel, they were very, very clear. They said, Jesus, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead. The father did not do that to Jesus. They did that to Jesus. The father vindicated Jesus by raising him. See. Now, but he does it, the, the discipline of God is for us to be partakers of his holiness. So that means that without discipline and without self-control, you cannot experience holiness as God wants you to experience it. That, that's, that, that, that is how I say it, okay? Let's say you paid for something very good and very expensive. Don't you want what you paid for? Okay, well, what about God? I saw a little scratch on a pair of sneakers on a buckle. I said, no, no, we're taking those back. No, 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 not for that price. That's not, no, 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 I need another pair. I paid for that. 
What about God? Look at the great price that he paid for us to be partakers. We, we, the Bible says that we're partakers of the divine nature through great and precious promises. And you know, you hear that. Promises, people write that down. Promises, ah, promises. Okay, yeah, but what about partakers of his holiness? What about that? What if I told you that, that if you really want to you really have the promise and hold the promise and keep the promise and not squander and destroy the promise, that you have to be holy and separate? Because, here, here's why, without self-control, what I receive by inheritance, I will destroy with a lack of wisdom. So, Whatever you receive for free, you only increase by wisdom. You only retain it by wisdom. So I, without self-control, I cannot even hold on to what I have. All right. But he, for our profit. So God disciplines us not to get something off of his chest. He doesn't give us a piece of his mind so that he can get something off of his chest and say, I told you so. No, no. He does that for your profit. When God speaks, God is not speaking for him. He's speaking for you. He's God all by himself. He doesn't need you to be God. He's quite happy and peaceful. He needs our dysfunction like a hole in the head. But he loves us and he speaks to us for our profit. That we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, say afterward. Afterwards. Afterward, it yields, which doesn't, it doesn't just yield once, it keeps yielding. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see that word trained? Not entertained. Trained. This is not a house of entertainment. I'm not here to dance and sing and entertain you. The worship is not here to entertain you. This is, this is a place to be trained. Because when you step outside, you're in a war. You're in a war. You're in an active war zone, and the enemy is constantly after your testimony, and you, you got to be careful, and you got to be alert. Okay. Now, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight the path for your feet, so that which is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. So now he's saying this is important. Encourage people, strengthen people so that what is broken can be fixed instead of cut off. So that means if, if, you, if for example, if a broken person comes in to the house of the Lord, to the assembly of God's people, right? And I'm telling you, I've been this broken person, so I know how this works. If a broken person comes in with a spirit of humility and a desire to change, in one year's time, their life will not be the same. Their life will not be the same in one year. One year is all it takes. One year of consistently obeying God, you will not recognize the amount of distance you've covered in one year. So that means that there's, there's, there's things and there's people that are broken. If they come into the right environment, they can get healthy. You know, the right environment is really important. It's very, very critical that your environment is conducive to what you are trying to achieve in that space. For example, I, in, in my house, when, when the pandemic, pandemic thing was happening, I had a vision 
of that room painted in camo. It wasn't painted in camo. So I called my buddy. I said, yo, can you come paint? He said, I got you. He hand painted it. But I was trying to create an environment that is conducive to what I'm trying to achieve in that space. That's a natural uh, manifestation of a spiritual truth that you have to learn how to get into environments that are conducive to what God is trying to do in your life. That's why, to be honest, I'm going to tell you, I really feel this. I'm being 100% sincere. I love to be in worship. 30 minutes ago, sometimes I wish it would never end. I'm just there like, I'm the son that you love. My picture is on your refrigerator. I'm coming to raid the father's fridge with muddy feet. I'm coming in wholeheartedly because I got nowhere else to go. And if I lived in Little Ferry or if I lived in Upper Montclair, if I had $300 or $30 million, I would do the exact same thing because there's nothing else that can satisfy the real need. The other things can't even put their finger on it let alone fix it. <laughs> to be in the presence of God? It's like, have you ever seen a little kid when they get, they're like, they've been left alone and you come and they're like, there's like Oreo cookies everywhere. Like, that's like me in the presence of God. I'm like, <sighs> I love to be with Jesus. Okay. Make straight paths for your feet. Walk right. You determine how you walk. Walk right. One of the things that I don't think people like the Bible is the Bible always calls us into responsibility. We pray, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, take this sin from me, take this weight. He says, no, you give it to me. I told you to which means you can, you do it. You know what a lot of prayer is? A lot of prayer is us trying to tell God to do what he told us to do. People want to pray about revival, not have revival. Revival is messy. I got to get out of that. All right. Pursue peace with all people. And holiness, which... Without which, no one will see the Lord. This is important. God wants us to be partakers of His holiness. Do you know what partakers of something is? If I partake of something, what is the whole point of communion? The whole point of communion is not to fight over stuff that people fight over. The whole point of communion is to remember that Jesus was ripped apart so we would be put back together. And I am supposed to ingest that which means think about it, focus on it, eat it and drink it so it becomes flesh in me. The gospel becomes flesh in me, right? Religious people always want to fight over this and fight over that. But no, no, this is supposed to be an experience that is transformational. The word becoming flesh. Partakers of his holiness, without this holiness, right, no one will see the Lord. The pure in heart see who? God. That doesn't say the pure in heart see what's wrong with everybody. Suspicion is not a gift of the Spirit. Imagine if you looked at yourself like that. Pursue peace with all people. You, you should be a person who is easy to get along with. You know, a peaceful person is someone that other people want to be around them. Without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest any fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up may cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Okay, 
Bitterness in your heart, if you don't deal with it, it will defile other people and it will cause you trouble. That's not God's portion for you. That's not his plan for you. Now, lest there be any fornicator. You know what fornicator, you know, you know you guess what we get, you know what we get from that word? Porno. Pornos, that's that. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. So that means no sex before marriage. And if you're married, don't be having sex with other people. That's adultery. So sexual purity is very important. We went over this many times. The Bible, look at how the Bible sprinkles in all these real life things. It's like, don't be discouraged. Don't sleep with people. Like, it's like, like it, the Bible is so real. Like, it's like, it's like, all right. This is another one. Like Esau. Remember Esau? What did Esau do? Esau sold his birthright for a, for a plate, exactly, of soup. This is the, what's the principle here? If you don't have rule over your appetites, they're going to rule you. Now, this is, now this, there's a whole crazy message here, but I cannot preach this. But he sold his birthright for one morsel of food. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. I, I hate to say this, but sometimes it's too late. Sometimes, after you done spilled the milk, the milk is spilled. And it's not easy to say that because it sounds hopeless. It's like, what am I going to do now? Like, I thought you didn't want me to be discouraged. Like, no, I don't want you to be discouraged, but I don't want you to sell your birthright. What does that mean? I don't want you and I don't want me to devalue Something that is priceless for something that can be bought. This is what people do. This is what I've, I've seen this many, many times. Many people will trade what money cannot buy for just a little bit more money. For example, if I make money a priority in my life, that it doesn't, it doesn't deserve that, then I will destroy my family trying to pursue money. So I say I'm pursuing money for my family. Everyone says it's for their family. It's for my family. It's God. It's God. Everything's God. But then I destroy my family for money, and now I've traded what money cannot buy just for a little bit more money, and then I'm going to lose money because I'm going to have to pay child support. So now you, you have to, you have to, do not, in your life, do not trade a little bit more money for what money can't buy. And if, let's say you made a mistake, you blew it, ask God to forgive you and move on because you're not Esau. Okay. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that may be burned with fire and to the blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Do you remember what he's talking about? He's talking about when the children of Israel rejected God and chose Moses. They said, we don't want to hear your voice. Talk to Moses and we'll listen to Moses. They were used to slavery. They were not used to freedom. So instead of relationship, they chose slavery. They chose another taskmaster, and they rejected the very thing that was designed to change them. An encounter with the living God is what has the power to change you. So they said, we don't want to be changed. Give us the rules. We're used to obeying rules. We're used to slavery. And so they rejected the thing that would have brought freedom to them, which was God having a relationship with his people. God wanted a kingdom of priests. They wanted Egypt. It's like, anyway, 
And if so, as the beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have not come to Mount Zion. Excuse me. But you have come to Mount Zion. Yes. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. That means your names are written in heaven. Your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. They're written in his own blood. To God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. What does that mean? It means that God shakes things that can be shaken, and only the things that cannot be shaken remain. So when God begins to shake, shake your life down, that's good. Because he's getting, he's getting rid of stuff that doesn't need to be there. And that's a good thing. So when he's talking about the shaking of heaven, he's talking about the shaking of powers and principalities that have dominion over the people on the earth. For example, if the Lord shook the heavens, guess what would happen? All those satellites would fall out of the sky. Everything that people depend on, put their trust in, put their hope in. Imagine that. Imagine if you woke up one day and it all was off. And you were like, off. And you just had a book, like an actual Bible, like a real book. Imagine, you know, that would freak people out. That would probably cause a war. And they couldn't even aim it. They couldn't even aim stuff. It really messed people up. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It would really shake things up. But here's the thing. When God removes things from your life, that's okay. God removes things to make room. And let me say this to you. In one season, something could seem precious to you. But in another season, you'll be thinking how to get rid of it. Because as you grow, your appetite changes. Even people. There, 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 may, be, there's, there may be people in your life now that will not be in your life later as you continue to follow Jesus because they're not interested in following Jesus. And the further you follow Jesus, the more distance there is from people who do not want to follow Jesus. And honestly, can I, can I say something to you? It's actually a good thing because you don't want unnecessary weights. You, you want people that are calling you with blessing and favor in divine opportunities, not someone who says, you know, I spent the rent again on alcohol. Well, I'm very sorry to hear that. But that's not really, <laughs> that's, not, that's not my situation, you know, that's your situation. Okay, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is the consuming fire. So, the grace is the thing that empowers you to serve God. So we don't serve God in our own strength. 
We, the same way we're saved by grace? Well, you, if you, this is funny. Some people, are, they, they think they're saved by grace, but they think they can serve in their own strength. Everything is in the natural, what they can do, what they have, what their talents, their gifts. Listen, I really need grace. <laughs> I'm just going to say that in that nice way. I really need the grace of the Lord because, you know, anyway, let's, let's get out of that. All right. That we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. This is good. But let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, but uh, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remembering, uh, remember, excuse me, the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body. Also, marriage is honorable among all, and the uh, and the bed is undefiled. The marriage bed is talking about, which means that. The marriage bed and what happens in the marriage bed is actually holy. That's another story. All right. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. You see how that keeps coming up? That keeps coming up because, you know why? People like sex. Ain't that something? <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't, well, I, I don't know about you, but generally people like sex. And if it's in its proper context, it's undefiled. Which that's, that's, that, that's a serious word. That's a word where he talks about wedding garments. That's a serious word. That's not a joke word. That's, a, that's a like, that's a holy word. So that's a good thing. Okay. Before fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness or without greed. Don't be greedy. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Now, I'm not going to continue to read this because I've already went 14 minutes too long. But what I do want to say to you is one thing, and I think that this is an important truth that if you, if you get it, it's, it's very helpful. Okay, what is the truth I'm talking about? Glad you asked. Contentment is not rooted in what I have. Okay. Contentment is not rooted in where I live. Contentment is not rooted in what I drive. Contentment is not rooted in how much is in a bank account. Contentment is rooted in whose I am and who I belong to and who I am with. See, if, if contentment becomes about stuff, the human condition is we always want more stuff. And the, Solomon said it this way, the eyes of man are never satisfied. So if contentment is about this or that, it's not really the contentment that satisfies. Things get old, they get scratched, you freak out, you know, you get a new car and then you scrape the rim and you want to, you know, go crazy. That's not, that's all well, well and good, but the, the level of contentment that God wants us to dwell in is the fact that he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And, and that's really something because there's people that they never leave you, but they forsake you all the time. They're always there, but they're not there. No, he's saying, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I'll be with you 
always, he says, even to the end of the age or the end of the, the, this aeon or this time, I will be with you. So that means that if you get yourself in a mess, God doesn't go, oh, well, I'm done. I'm leaving. God says, no, I'll be with you. You get yourself a promotion. Comes from the Lord anyway. He says, I'll be with you. You, you get persecuted and you, you come under severe attack. He said, no, I'll be with you. You, you come under temptation, real fierce temptation, where, where you feel the pull and you go, no. He has a crown of life for you. He said, I'll be with you. See, our contentment is rooted in Christ being with us. That's, that's really, like, that, that goes back to, what is the whole point of Christmas? It's not a tree. It's not gifts. Although that's all well and good. But it's that he'll be with us, which means that we don't have to go at it alone. Which means I can look to him. And as I focus on him, I am energized for the race. When I think about what he went through, I am arming myself with the mind that says you may suffer too. When he deals with me and he disciplines me, he's saying, son, I love you. I want you to be a partaker of my holiness. When he shakes things, it's to remove things that don't belong. So th These are all good things. He gives us grace so that we can serve him Correctly, which means that we cannot serve him apart from him. We were not meant to do any part of our life alone. I, I want to encourage you practically. God, I invite you into my finances. God, I invite you into my sexuality. God, I invite you into the marriage bed. God, I invite you into, invite him in. He, everything is better when he shows up. Everything is better when he's present. You think that he's going to ruin things? No, he will make things better. And I want to say to you that things can get better. Like in your life, your marriage can get better. You, you know, your relationship to your kids can get better. Your understanding of scripture can get better. Your ability to handle resources and earn resources and steward resources can get better. Th this is a... We go from glory to glory, from faith to faith. Of the increase of his government in peace, there'll be no end. So the increase is unlimited. The only thing that is limited is our mind and our ability to conceive and perceive that which God wants to do. God, one of the things that God wants to do is God wants to liberate our mind from the systems of the world so that we could have kingdom vision. And to me, it's crazy when the world can have more vision than kingdom people. To me, but that tells you what we trust in. Do you know that the world trusts itself more than we trust Jesus? Elon Musk believes the voice in his own head more than we believe the voice of God. And I'm not shaming. I'm not saying you are, you're a bad Christian. I'm just saying in general, these people believe more in their vision than we believe in God's vision. And that's something that God wants to really break off. Like when he shakes stuff, that's good for some of that stuff to, to, to uh, just get broken off. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who will shake things and is shaking things. So that which is eternal, that which is real and pure, remains. So Lord, we want that which is real and that which is pure. 
We want to be partakers of your holiness, Lord. We want to see you as you are and represent you for who you are. And I'm asking you, Lord, for just a special grace to serve you and a special grace to endure. I'm just, I keep, I'm, I'm reminded of this verse where, where he endured, Abraham was talking about. Abraham endured patiently and he received the promise. So if you're believing for something that you know is from God, please don't give up. Hold on. In Jesus' name. Hold on. Don't give up.